Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by Assembly Coworking Space. Assembly has been home to some of Calgary's brightest tech startups and small businesses for almost a decade. If you're looking for a co-working space, check out assemblycs.com. Lindsay Skabar is the co-founder and chief marketing officer at Bode, Canada's first online real estate marketplace. Giving customers choice and access are central to her personal and business philosophy. Before her career in tech and real estate, Lindsay served on the global business development team at Axia, which brought high-performing, low-cost fiber optic internet to rural Alberta and globally to the USA, France, and Singapore. Former chair of AIDS Calgary and chair of the Branch Out Neurological Foundation for many years, Lindsay now sits on the Mount Royal University Foundation Board. Lindsay is focused on scaling Bode across Canada and eventually internationally. Now I'll pass the microphone over to Lindsay for her conversation with Amanda Hare. Take it away, Lindsay. Hello, and welcome to the Rainforest Podcast. My name's Lindsay Skabar, and I'm here from Bode, and I've got with me Amanda Hare. Amanda, welcome. Hi, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. It's so great to talk to you today. I know you have so many interesting things to share, but Amanda is here with Santera. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about your story and we'll get it. We'll dive right into it. Sure. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here again. Thanks for asking me to join and really excited to talk to you about ag tech and what's happening in our corner of the province anyway, in this regard. So I've been with Sunterra Greenhouse, which is a new division um, of Sunterra portfolio of companies. And we're building a 20 acre, very technology forward controlled climate greenhouse in Acme, Alberta, which is about an hour northeast of Calgary. And how I came to be there, I guess, would be a good start. I joined the company about eight months ago when there were only concrete piles in the ground. So construction had just started in March of 2021. And I do have a background in the food space, certainly, but a little bit downstream from the growing side. In 2014, I started a company called Crew Juice, and we had a manufacturing facility in Calgary, and we ended up selling two years after we we started the company with eight locations across Alberta. So we did have an opportunity, or I did, to work with a lot of growers in Alberta to you know purchase a lot of our raw ingredients used in the in the manufacturing space, and and I really loved it. I think being part of the ecosystem where you're growing things to provide people healthful options or the ability to make good choices to improve their lives felt really good for me and really value aligned. So when this opportunity presented itself, I do have experience with startups, commercializing, you know, new products, but also I have a really, you know, a a heart connection to the food space. And so the opportunity was really exciting and I love technology. If we can do something more efficiently, faster, better, I love that. I just feel like that's, I'm driven to, to, you know, to finding those efficiencies. So yeah, I joined the company and it was really exciting to understand how we could be more efficient in terms of, 
you know, growing in these controlled climate environments versus field growing. So I'm excited to talk to you about that today. You know, that's really fascinating. And I've been I've been paying attention to the ag space for quite some time. It's a little it's something that I think is just incredibly interesting. And so much technology has been applied in that agricultural space and something we rely on so heavily here in Alberta. So I'm excited to hear that we are moving down the path towards having some fantastic produce uh, year round. Tell us a little bit about how this project started. And Sunterra has been one of those companies that have been local before local was cool. So I'm really excited to hear about how local some of the produce uh, is actually going to be reaching us and when we get to experience it. Yeah, that's true. They were they were into local before it was on Vogue. That's absolutely true. So the Sunterra group of companies um, spans, there's a 50-year history starting in, you know, agriculture, pork production, processing. And then I believe it was about 30 years ago that the market started. So we we have a great opportunity here um, to get immediate feedback from customers and you know quality is one of the value pillars for Sunterra. So it's really exciting that you know they can be involved all the way through the value chain and have that immediate feedback from customers. So there's eleven Sunterra market locations across Alberta, with five being a grocery store model. So I think it was very natural for the prices to start exploring the idea of getting involved in growing produce. Um, Namely, because in Alberta, we do import 90% of our produce during the winter months. I think a lot of consumers maybe don't. I was surprised by that by that statistic. So 90% of what you see on grocery store shelves between the months of, you know, October and April, you're getting from, you know, many, many thousands of miles away by plane, by boat, by truck in many cases. And so not only are we getting a less superior product because these are varietals that are bred for distance. They're not bred for nutritional quality or value or flavor. They're bred for distance. And so, um, but also we're paying more. So we're paying at least 40 cents per pound for the cost to transport that produce from either Ontario, BC, or way further south as far as Mexico or overseas. I mean, I just... I think I bought a mango from Sri Lanka yesterday and part of me feels guilty about doing that. But, you know, I think as consumers that are used to Amazon life where you order something and get it the next day, I think we feel the same way about our food products that we should be able to really, you know, eat whatever we want, whenever we want through the year. And so these compromise quality, you compromise on price and quality in order to have that freedom and flexibility at the grocery store shelves. You bring up such a great point in the sense that we're hyper vigilant now. We're getting there at least around carbon footprint and environmental impact of of getting the things we want, satiating two sides, right? Getting the things we want when we want them, but at the same time paying attention to the sustainability of the environment and, and the environmental impact of those decisions. Um, so maybe you could dive in a little bit to how greenhouses affect environment and, and sustainability. Yeah, that's great. And yeah, that's it's funny that our filter doesn't extend so much to the grocery store shelves, but we would like to get to a point where we're using that as, you know, part of our communication strategy with our customers is to be able to say, you know, this produce was picked on this day and this many kilometers away. And so we can actually start talking about the carbon footprint of, of our produce on the grocery shelves. I think that's really exciting. But yeah, that you bring up a good point about greenhouses. And I'm not sure what the the general 
impression is about the environmental impact of greenhouse growing. So what we like to say is that any water used in the facility is actually leaving the facility in the fruit. So, so do we use you know, a lot of water to grow? Well, of course, but that water is being recirculated. We have um, incredibly, you know, sophisticated irrigation systems that we use every drop of water. We recirculate it and treat it through reverse osmosis and, and UV sterilization to be able to reuse that water again. So we've invested in very highly efficient systems in that way. Um, there's, you know, natural gas, which powers our boiler system, which heats the facility through hot water pipes that are, you know, at the very top by the peaks to melt snow. And then we also have, they're called grow pipes that are right in the plants. So to provide heat within, right, right in the pick zone is called. And then we also have grow pipes that are heated that are on, on the rails, which are harvest carts drive over. So we're really getting an ambient heat environment in the greenhouse. And I would say that, you know, the highest use or the highest requirement for heat is in the peak growing seasons, which are the bench seasons in the fall and spring months, in which case we utilize these highly efficient glass panes that are, they're called AR glass, which means that it takes every ounce of sunlight, which we have plenty of in Alberta, which is why it's surprising that there aren't more greenhouses in this province because we have the most sun per hour of any province in Canada. So it's really exciting because I think we have the climate here to be able to really be growing far more efficiently than other provinces, perhaps. And then the glass actually diffuses the light and creates a really homogeneous climate environment for the plants. So we're really excited. We're touching on a topic that's really a hot button right now, which is food security. Everyone's talking about it with these catastrophic climate events that we've had. I mean, BC having two 100-year climate events in the last eight months is just, it's absolutely tragic. It's really a wake-up call. It feels scary to have kids these days. Honestly, I feel terrified. So I think a lot of people are realizing these events that have impacted Mexican field crops in California well, what do, what do we think the trickle-down effect is on us, which is a tiny little import market like Alberta? I mean, it, it's going to impact us very, very heavily. And so I think that's why people are turning their attention back to how can we be sustainable? How can we protect ourselves and insulate ourselves from these type of climate events and yeah, be kind of hedging in a way our food supply? You bring up such an excellent point in the sense that if we are 90% reliant on produce coming through our door or into our province, should there be political or environmental impacts on that supply chain, what would we do? So I'm so happy to hear that this project is underway. What crops are you um, growing right now? So this is actually the first phase. The first 20 acres is the first phase. And the master project plan is to actually have 70 acres in the next three to four years. And so we're looking at adding additional phases as soon as we get our practice year in here. I don't want to call this a practice year, but it sort of is. We're, we're calling this a stub growing season because we're a little bit late planting because of some construction delays, but we're really excited to get going on the second phase. And a lot of the infrastructure that was required, including the irrigation systems, boilers, the site planning has already been done. And so adding on acres is going to be a completely different ballgame, I think, for the next phase. So the first phase, we have a two and a half acre uh range which is just going to be strawberries and then the other 17 and a half acres we're growing tomatoes and we're growing three different varieties grape beefsteak and vine tomatoes tomatoes on the vine so we really have four different products hitting the market and on the strawberry side we're really excited to be um, offering the market a really high high quality 
it's going to be really high on the sweet sweetness in fruit is measured on a scale system called bricks. And so it's really going to be a high bricks product that the consumer is going to really enjoy. It's uh, kind of in a different category than I would say the strawberries we're seeing on the, on the shelves now. So we're really excited. We're not necessarily growing the highest yield strawberry. We're growing the strawberries are really being grown for flavor, nutrition density, and um, just quality again, which is like very synonymous with the Sunterra group of companies. I think that's what we want to do first and foremost is quality. Yeah. And on the tomatoes, we're growing different varieties. Um, we have to be careful to make sure we're using varietals that are you know, resistant to some of the viruses that have impacted crops out in Ontario, specifically one called brown rugos that actually, you know, it's very indiscernible, difficult to track and, and cross-contamination. And so we're we're kind of lucky in a sense that we're isolated where we are. We The, the chances of cross-contamination or those types of viruses coming into our greenhouse are very far reduced as opposed to those areas in Southern Ontario that have a really high density of glass greenhouses. So one other thing, Lindsay, I wanted to mention that I didn't say before, which I probably should have, but the other thing about a greenhouse, you know, glass greenhouse or controlled climate environments is that we're really reducing the inputs required in, in the crop. So for example, in a field grown crop, you need to use pesticides, herbicides, fertilizers to spray to prevent pests. You're also quite inefficient with your irrigation because you're spraying, depending on the time of day or year, you're getting very low absorption rates. You're using far more resources than are required. But I think the thing that's most exciting for me is, is that when I pick up the produce, I guess tomatoes and strawberries being on the dirty dozen list, which is very serious. These are soft skinned fruits that you, you do need to be concerned about what's being absorbed into that product. We're, we're using almost no inputs at all. We're, so what we're providing is this very healthful product that has had very little intervention in terms of chemical intervention, almost none. We use good bugs to fight bad bugs instead of using herbicides and, and pesticides to spray. So that's the other kind of exciting part is because it's so highly technology and, and it's controlled to the micro degree in every square corner of the greenhouse, can really limit the inputs. As a mom as well, and as an Albertan born and raised, I first of all have to thank you for strawberries and tomatoes because in the off season, like when it's not, they are, it is just not the same. It's not the same. It, 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 it would be classified as an entirely different product. So thanks for tackling those two. And I have, I have some suggestions for, for your next 70 acres that, that you're about to plant as we look at agriculture. And I'm really happy to hear that the technology is being utilized in greenhouses to reduce the environmental impact and to provide uh, a superior product. So both of those things are absolutely amazing. Now, how do we stack up? How does Alberta stack up in this domain versus other Canadian provinces and potentially south from here too? Yeah. Okay. So we would rank fourth. If you're talking about the number of acres of year-round glass production, we rank fourth after Ontario, BC, and Quebec which is kind of staggering again for me being sort of new to this to this industry i'm very surprised by that because i think we have lots of advantages in alberta from a regulatory perspective there's really no controlling body or commission that regulates what we can grow how many acres we can grow whereas in bc every acre and crop has to be pre-approved by a commission that decides you know what's allowed it's, it, there's there's really not 
that those types of barriers in Alberta. Um, in addition, our access to market is great. We, we really cover Western Canada. We have great access to those transportation networks and also to supply produce to the Northwest states. We Again, you know, it's not like Ontario. We don't have the concentration of population density that they have in the Northeast Corridor in Ontario. So that's, that's fine. But, you know, a lot of the produce we see on our shelves is trucked in from all the way from Ontario. So, and the last benefit is, you know, our climate here. I mean, we're, it may, yes, it may be minus 30 right now. And for the last couple of weeks, which has been very challenging the last few weeks of construction, but I will say it's always sunny. And so that's one of the key ingredients of a greenhouse. And you need far less heat in the greenhouse if you're producing that heat naturally. And the lights, of course, we're using a combination of LED and HPS lights, and you need to use those less if we're, you know, we're getting that from mother nature. So we're in fourth place now, but I would say, you know, in the next decade, we would love to be in the top two for sure, because there's a lot more provincial support now, government grants and incentives for companies to take this risk and to invest in this technology, because it is expensive to be building this type of facility. It's definitely something, it, it takes a huge investment on the front end, especially to build all of the infrastructure for this. And so I, I think it's difficult. That's why you see a lot of micro growers that are very small growers, especially in the Medicine Hat region. We've got, you know, 150 growers or something like that that are part of the Red Hat Cooperative, but they're all, I would call them micro growers. So they're either growing in poly greenhouses or very small glass greenhouses, one or two acres. And there isn't that incentive to invest in a facility like this. And so I think we're going to see, I think as we're seeing the cost of technology come down, as with any technology, there's definitely you know, that as as more people adopt and as the manufacturing for these components becomes more cost effective, you're going to see as that curve heads down, more people are going to be interested. Awesome. And, you know, as we over the next decade try to leapfrog some of the other provinces, what does it take from a provincial point of view in order to continue to invest? And as you say, there's probably a lot of capital involved, but do we have the other resources needed in order to be able to be a leader from an Alberta point of view? Yeah, you're seeing a lot of grants, even on, on the federal level, for example, to you know implement LED light technology is far more energy efficient. And you're seeing grants and rebates coming back to the growers for those who are investing in that technology, which is great. But I would say that the province could be doing more, I think, um, to incentivize companies to invest in this type of technology. I You are seeing a lot, but it, predominantly it's federally funded grants and rebates. So I do think that more can be done. However, we we were lucky enough to just be awarded a grant through RDAR, which is in Alberta. I think they're federally funded as well, but it's a provincially run organization that supports research development and agriculture. And you know, we're really excited to have partnered with Lethbridge College on in a smaller research facility located in Brooks, where we can be doing research trials that evaluates different media types, different lighting combinations and plant density studies. And the results of that research will be available to, to everyone. It's available publicly because it's publicly funded. So I think it's exciting to be a part of Alberta starting to invest in horticulture in this type of space. But it's just the beginning stages, I would say. 
I get the opportunity to work at Bode every day. And one of the things that we've been challenged with lately is getting access to technical resources, people who are locally extremely technical. Do you have a similar challenge in terms of getting those experts and having those resources and human capital to be successful? It's a huge issue. I, so I'm glad you brought that up. That's been that's been one of the biggest challenges um, for me in my position is finding that uh, bench strength and knowledge of, you know, either the climate control system that's very specialized or, you know, just even down to the level of the greenhouse labor team, those that are working with cultivating the plants, harvesting them and doing maintenance out in the ranges. There is no, there, there really is very little expertise that can be drawn on from within the province. And so we're having to invest in training, which is very expensive. We've had to recruit and hire our head grower from Brazil. He's had experience globally with with tomato crops specifically, but also with the technology we've implemented for the climate control system. And it's really, I guess, again, that comes back to the investment. So we're investing in training a local labor force. We currently have 60 employees and 35 of them were hired from either Acme, where the greenhouse is located, or within very close proximity, so the surrounding townships, which we're really proud of. I think we were told that, you know, we would have to largely rely on the temporary foreign worker program and to be bringing in that type of labor support from other, you know, countries like Mexico or Jamaica, where where crop and field work is very, very prevalent. And so that expertise is available. But we've only hired 10 workers through that program so far. And our focus is to try and hire and train as many local workers as we can, again, to build that bench strength and support here in in Alberta. And the other thing we're doing is working with post-secondary institutions to try to develop programming that supports more and more students who have an interest in this area. the high technology greenhouse area specifically. So looking for, you know, to, to Olds College or Lethbridge College for them to augment their existing horticultural programs with some courses and programs like specifically tailored to greenhouse technology. So that's exciting, but it feels like this is an investment. Like, you know, this is an investment over the course of five, 10 years in order to get where maybe some of these other provinces already are today. That's incredible. Yeah. And, you know, rural Alberta has had a a tough go lately, right? There's a number of challenges that they're facing in terms of being involved in industries that didn't adapt, let's say, as quickly as agriculture has. So being able to remain rural and be employed out there is so incredible for this province. And it's, it's important that those opportunities continue to exist and an expertise grows there. So that's so awesome that you're investing on all those levels. Great pun, Lindsay. It grows there. There's just endless opportunities for puns. My dad jokes are just not stoppable. I'm sorry. How about the next phase? So we're, we've got 20 acres of buildings, which uh, I, I had the opportunity of growing up on an acreage. So 20 acres, that's a huge building. I bet you can see it from Calgary. It's big. <laughs> it's big. It's huge. I knew what 20 acres meant, but actually physically being in the facility, we even have bikes that we're, we've got on order to help our team get from one end to the other. Because if you've got a 20 minute coffee break, well, you're spending 10 or 15 minutes walking back and forth. And so it's really staggeringly big, you know, so that's definitely, it's things you have to consider that you never really thought you'd have to consider that we're trying to make it a great work environment for everyone and yeah 
So it's huge. The exciting part too, is that the expansion will all be on the same master site. So when we grow, we're growing the facility north and east in order to get the entire 70 acres. I think that's really exciting. And what's your decision-making process for future crops or will you go heavy into strawberries and tomatoes? TBD. I think it's really going to be, we're going to have to see how the market responds, how people respond to the the product. We'll see. We we don't want to have what's called a flush, which is when you have a huge influx of a certain commodity or another. So you have to also cooperate with other growers that influence this area in terms of what, you know, what they're growing and selling into the market. You don't want to have a flush of TOV or a flush of strawberries, for example. I don't think that's ever going to be an issue with strawberries, but we're one of the only growers in Canada. There's a few that are investing in, in again, Ontario, BC and Quebec in strawberry greenhouses, but well, all berries. I think it's a great it's a great opportunity. But on the tomato front, we're going to have to decide if we grow into you know exclusively berries or if we you know diversify and get into other. The suggestion box is open. So if you have any ideas, you said you did, but yeah, we'll just have to see how we go. As you grow into this space and as you start the bleeding edge of greenhouses, how do you guys play with more traditional agriculture, and how do you see? agriculture moving forward in Alberta from a technology point of view and an innovation space? I don't know exactly where things are headed, but I do know that, you know, one of our divisions, we have a cropping division and they had a very a difficult year with the drought. Well, drought, do we call it a drought or yeah, it was, I mean, it's just, it's, it's very, very difficult when you can't control, you know, when your, your business relies almost exclusively on the environment and what's going to happen. I think what we know for sure now is that you can't look back and project forward using historical data. You can't. I mean, we did that. We paid lots of really smart people to model out, you know, what our precipitation levels would be, for example, even this season. And they've been so wrong, even though we went back, you know, 10, 20 years and and averaged out the data, we thought we would be really on target, but it's, so I think it's a pretty scary place to be and we'll have to see. I think what what has to happen is that there has to be incentives in place. There there has to be success with these early projects and investments that are, that are being made. And there has to be er, early success to incentivize other people to convert some of their crop to potentially greenhouse or climate controlled growing, for example. And I think that really is the way of the future. I don't know the exact statistics, but the amount of production you can get out of a meter squared of growing area in a controlled climate greenhouse is staggering compared to, you know, what you would get out of a field grown operation. And so there's going to be a tipping point. I don't know when that's going to be, but it's going to really involve policymakers and, you know, provincially and federally to really make this change, make this shift. Well, it has been so great chatting with you. Do you have any parting wisdom to share with the audience? This is my favorite question because then it puts people on their heels and they get to answer however they see fit. Yeah, you really surprised me with that question. Thanks, Lindsay. (laughs) No, I think I would love to see is people getting more interested in agriculture in this province. I mean, this is really the backbone of 
our economy, but it really doesn't get any airplay. And that's been really shocking. Out at the site in, in Acme for Sunterra, one of our goals is to create a learning center where people can bring their kids. Schools can do, you know, day trips and visits to see where food is grown and understand the impact on them and get excited about it. And so I guess my parting words would be, we should be talking about this more. We should be telling our kids about it. We should be, you know, we're hoping to create a really open door policy to provide those learning opportunities so that everyone gets excited and proud about what we're doing here. That's, I think that's all I would say. Well said. And I think I just have to agree with that. I'm an agriculture enthusiast myself in my spare time. And I just think that we've been so innovative in Alberta. And uh, it's just something that people are less aware of. I think people think that agriculture has kind of stopped innovating, where it takes an incredible amount of expertise, investment, time, energy, and technology in order to be um, successful in this business. So I applaud you. This is a fantastic project. And I'm so excited to taste the strawberries and tomatoes. Me too. Oh yeah, I should I should mention too, they're all planted. We're expecting to have production in late January, early February. So you should start seeing our product on the shelves in February. It's exciting. So pretty soon. Thank you so much, Amanda. Thanks for having me. It was so nice. Oh, my pleasure. And I'm so excited to bring my kids out and do a tour of the greenhouses and, and learn with them so that we are start that education of the next gen. Yeah, I can't wait for that. We can't wait to see you out there. Thank you so much. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode was brought to you by Assembly Coworking Space. If you're looking for a co-working space, check out assemblycs.com. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.